Ready? Oh my gosh, that was glorious. Oh man, made me cry in a really good way. That was fabulous. Good. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Matt. Thank you, Angela. Uh, thank you, Dan. Still on the finance team, though in a different role now. Uh, thank you, Rick. Uh, really appreciate all the work that you guys do. And thank you, church. Thank you for being such a generous body. Uh, it continually, it continually blows my mind. And I'm, I'm just so thankful and so grateful for the generosity of our church. Um, and I, as, as we continue to worship, I want to pray for our giving, pray for our budget, but kind of in that too. <clears throat> you know, we, we do these Q and updates for, or Q all updates, quarterly updates for a couple reasons. One is just to be as transparent as we can with all things financial. The other is it is a reminder just about our stewardship and our giving, and it's an invitation to pray about that. But I, I always want to put that in the larger context of what it is that we do as a church. Right? Our goal as a church is not to make budget. Our goal as a church is to make disciples. Uh, it's to walk close to Jesus. It's to become his apprentices. It's to be transformed into his likeness and to help others to do the same. And so all that comes in the context of us being a church where we are seeking to draw close to Christ, where we are ministering to the poor in our city, where we are reaching out to our neighbors who are far from God, uh, because God loves our world. And that is, that's kind of the heart of all this that we are doing. So, um, that in mind, let's pray together, can we? Uh, Father God, we pray this morning as, as we gather to worship. God, we pray and we give you thanks for your goodness and for who you are. Uh, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us and that you call us to be your children, that you adopt us into your family. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you you are Savior and Lord of the world, and somehow you still choose to call us friend. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. Uh, the sanctifier of the people of God, the one who empowers us for your work, we give you thanks for who you are. And God, this morning we pray together for this congregation. We pray, God, that we would continue to grow as a community of people who are on mission together for you. Uh, people, Lord, who are, are praying for and reaching out to and serving those around us. God, make us salt and light. Cause us to be a joy and a wonder to our neighbors as they see Christ in us. Cause us, God, to be uh, good friends and inviters and includers to each other in this body and those outside it as well. Uh, God, bless us as we pursue you on mission here in the South Bay and in Mozambique and around the world. And God, we just ask for your blessing. God, as we do this, we pray that you would sustain us financially and otherwise. We pray that you would be meeting our needs as a church. We pray that you would be knitting hearts together, that our relationships with one another would run deep and be significant. And God, we, uh, we pray in all this that you would uh, continue just to lead us, make us attentive to your Holy Spirit and what you're doing among us. God, we give you thanks, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, my friends. Well, hey, we're doing this series, Rebooting Our Faith. And in this, we're, we're thinking about kind of a couple things simultaneously. One, for those who are Christian. Uh, this is kind of taking us back to some foundations. It ta- it's taking us to some of those core practices that shape us as those who follow Jesus. And at the same time, for those who 
are new or exploring, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christians do. This is what comes with the central belief that Jesus is Lord and what it means to follow him. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about worship, and specifically about, about corporate worship, Sunday worship, worshiping together as a body. And uh, yes, worshiping on our own, that's, that's great, and that's part of the Christian life too, but specifically today, we're talking about that together aspect of worship. And this is something you may or may not know, but this is, this is something that the New Testament commands, that we be a people who worship together. And why is this? Right? And the scriptures explain to us that uh, much as sometimes we would, would maybe want or imagine our faith to be just sort of a me and Jesus type of thing, he doesn't call individuals. Jesus calls people together. He calls us to be part of a larger family, his family, to be part of a body, his body. And, and that, that involves the church, right? A Christian without a church is a contradiction in terms. This isn't something that the New Testament envisions as much as we in our, our sort of individualistic society sometimes envision it that way. And one of the defining marks of the church in the New Testament <clears throat> uh, in the New Testament and then all the way to today is that the Christians would gather on what they called the Lord's Day, Sunday. And this was a shift from Saturday, which was the Sabbath, which was the day of worship in the Hebrew world, right? Uh, early Christians, they moved their worship to Sunday because that was what they called the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And they would gather on Sundays to worship him in prayer and in song and in the scriptures, and in communion. And why is that? Why is this something that is, is so important that Jesus and his followers would make this a regular part of their life together? And, and specifically, how can we as believers do this well? If we aspire to follow Christ, what does it mean to be a worshiper and to be one who worships the way that the scriptures describe So that's the question that we're going to bring to our text this morning. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a passage. It talks about what happens when we worship. And then it gives us three areas of focus. So if if you're ever in church, if you're in worship, and you're wondering, what is it exactly I am supposed to do? Hebrews 10 is addressing that question. And there's three areas of focus that the author gives us here of what we as worshipers are to do when we gather together on a Sunday like this. So uh, let me pray for us once again as we turn to the scriptures. And Holy God, we pray that you would enlighten our hearts. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would cause our hearts to be good soil, uh, to receive what you would give us today. And Lord, meet us, each of us, wherever we are at in our journey with you. We pray that you would uh, give us something that we might walk closer to you still. We give you thanks. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God from whom all coffee flows. <clears throat> okay, Hebrews 10. This is verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, pause there, my friends. So the first imperative that we come to in this text, there's going to be three of them. Uh, and they all start with the words, let, let us. Not the leafy kind, but let us together do this thing. So, pause there. The first imperative is to draw near. Right? This is the first focus for us in worship, is drawing near to God. And what does that mean? What does the author mean by this? So draw near, it's, it's kind of a technical term in the New Testament for worship, and especially in the book of Hebrews. It shows up six times in the book of, of Hebrews that as we come together, we are to draw near to God. And uh, uh, what we're talking about here is not just physical proximity, but it's heart proximity. Right? If you think about it, it's very possible for us to show up in a bodily way, but not really show up. It's very possible for us to be in the same physical proximity with each other, but not to be entirely there. And and Hebrews keeps calling us back to this again and again, that when you come into the presence of God, and in particular in this context, when you're coming with other believers, draw near to God. Draw near. You're bringing your heart into that space. You're bringing your mind into that space. You're being present to and with God and to and with one another in that space. Uh, The way that, that the text says it here, it says that we're to do this, we're to draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And listen to the why. It says, because we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And explains that this is because of Jesus' blood and Jesus' body. Now, uh, there's a lot of kind of weird sort of technical language in this that uh, for, for Hebrews, uh, for people who are coming to Jesus out of Judaism, this all would be very familiar. For us, it might need a touch of explaining. So let's, let's walk through it, unpack it a little bit, because it's really, really instructive. So, In the chapters leading up to this one, right, Hebrews chapter 1 through 9, the author of Hebrews, he's he's sort of making this case and this plea specifically to Jewish believers, to folks who are coming to faith out of Judaism. And he's talking about the priests, and he's talking about how the priests would enter the temple and how they would make sacrifice for the people's sins. And the way that the temple was set up is you had these different courtyards, Right? We've talked about this somewhat recently, but you have these different courtyards in the temple. And as you get closer to the center, there's places where you can only go if you are one of the priests. Right? And there is an area called the holy place. And you could only go into that area if you were one of the priests. And this is where the priest would come and they would make sacrifices for the people's sins in this area in sort of the, the normal course of temple worship. But inside of that, there was another court still. And that one was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. You may have heard this referred to in that way. Same thing. Uh, But in this space, only the high priest could come. There was only one high priest at any given time. Only the high priest could come. And only once a year on the day of Yom Kippur. And this was kind of the big day in terms of Israelite worship. 
uh, when the high priest would come and he would make a sacrifice for all of the people's sins. Now, here, uh, here is the thing. So, the reason that only the high priest would go into the most holy place and only once a year would do this is because this is the place in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant sat, right? You may know this from the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, the Ark of the Covenant. So, it was this, this gold chest, and it had in there the Ten Commandments and a few other things that were really significant for Israel's life and worship, but... But this was the place. God said, I am going to meet you wherever the ark is. It's kind of, kind of like this portal almost, if you will, where heaven and earth meet. And because of that, uh, this, the, the presence of God was so intense in that space that if you entered into that space and you had unconfessed sin, you would die. And uh, in the book of Exodus, two of Aaron's sons who are priests, they die going into the space and being this close to the holiness of God in a way that they were, were not fit for. So consequently, the ark lives in this, this one space in the temple, the most holy place, and it's, it's shut off from the courtyard outside of it by this curtain, a six-inch thick curtain, if you can imagine a curtain that thick. right? And, and it only gets entered into once a year by the high priest. Now, when the priest did this, the high priest, before going into this room, he would have to make himself clean. So that involved confessing all of his known sins, right? I'm sure he's sweating a little bit, hoping he didn't miss many. Uh, it involved him taking a, a ritual bath before he went in there. So even, even his body was clean, and symbolically he's becoming clean. And then he would, would sacrifice a bull, and they would take the blood of that bull, and he would take that into the most holy place with him as well. And even with all this, so you still following all this? So even with all this, when the high priest went into that room on Yom Kippur, they would tie a rope around his ankle and put bells on the edges of, of his garment, right? And the bells were there because if, if he was in there for too long and you weren't hearing bells jingling, right, you maybe give the rope a little tug, you know, and just make sure he's like, hey, still here. You know, that he hadn't died in there. And then if he had, the rope is there so you can pull him back out without having to send somebody in after him because who wants that job, right? <laughs> so so this, this is the picture that the author of Hebrews is building on here as, as he describes this thing of drawing near, right? And we see in this, it's this reminder that it is, it's a fearful thing to enter into the presence of God, to come face-to-face with God's holiness. This isn't something that you, you mess around with, right? And it's, it's something that a kind of a normal person, a normal worshiper wouldn't dream of doing, right? It, it's, it's like going out and grabbing onto power lines just to see what happens, right? You wouldn't do that. And so it's, it's a pretty amazing thing that the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, you as followers of Jesus, you are able to go into the most holy place, not just with fear and trembling, but with confidence, with a full assurance of faith, he says. Hear it again. Let me read this parts of this again. 
Uh, Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So now you hear this? Now our cleanliness coming into God's presence, it's not entirely unlike that of the high priest, but the sacrifice that has been made is not a bull. It's the blood of Jesus that we carry with us when we go into that most holy place. Uh, By a new and living way, verse 20, opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he goes on, uh, but the curtain, you remember the six inch thick curtain that the high priest would pass through to go into the most holy place? He says, we have a curtain too. It's the body of Jesus Christ. We symbolically, we pass through the body of Jesus on our way into the presence of God. His blood is our sacrifice. His body is the curtain, and he is our priest. And based on that, he says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So friends, catch this. Uh, The temple, which, by the way, at at the time of this writing, the temple had already been destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So this was a quandary in Judaism. How do we worship without a temple? But the teaching that that, uh, Christians received from Jesus even prior to that destruction was, you are now that temple. That when you, as my people, as you come together, you are that temple. And here it's being equated with the most holy place. When you gather together for worship, God in all his holiness is right there with you. And there's no barrier anymore. That curtain, by the way, do you, do you remember by chance what happened when Jesus rose from the dead? And in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that one of the things that transpired when Jesus rose and death was broken and, you know, he comes out of the grave is the temple and the curtain. That's this temple, uh, this curtain in the temple. It tore in two from top to bottom. So God severed that barrier between us and him. Because we have a new and better priest and we have a new and better sacrifice and there's this new and better curtain in Jesus, and we pass through that as we draw near to God. And we do so having been cleansed, right? The washing with water that the priest underwent, well, that's your baptism as you enter into Jesus. The blood sprinkled on the altar, that's the blood of Jesus which covers you. The confession of sin talked about this last week. This is part of what we do in prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray as we confess our sins. And so Hebrews tells us because of this, you can draw near with a sincere heart, with a full assurance of faith. This is what we should do when we come to worship. We draw near with confidence that Jesus has made a way for us to be close to God. Uh, when, um, when my second born, when Hannah, when she was born, uh, it, was, it was a difficult labor and delivery process. And uh, 
you know, for hours it seemed like the doctor was like, you're right there at the end, we're almost there, almost there. And then, uh, and then she was just stuck, and Hannah's heart rate started to tank. And, uh, and all of a sudden, people are moving everywhere, right? It goes from being kind of, kind of controlled atmosphere in that hospital room to doctors yelling at people, you know, get the OR ready, call this person, do this, do that. We're going to have an emergency C-section. And the doctor turns to me, and he says, scrub in. And I didn't totally know what that meant. <clears throat> but I, uh, I, I walk out of the room, my hand shaking a little bit, follow some of the nurses into this room, and there's doctors, and there's anesthesiologists, and there's all these people, and they're, they're moving at a good clip. They're keeping things moving here, and, and there's this giant sink, this giant wash basin. And they put scrubs on me, and they give me a brush and soap and say, okay, scrub the way that I scrub. And the nurse I'm standing next to, she's scrubbing under her fingernails. She's, getting, she's going all the way up the arm, past the elbow. This was like a thorough, thorough cleaning. And, and it wasn't like nice, gentle scrubbing either. I've, I'm like raw and, and just, you know, it's like taking the skin off my body it feels like. And those around me, they do this all the time. They're used to it. But I'm like, you know, it's quite this experience. Like, what is going on here? And one of them in in the room there where we're scrubbing in explains to me, you have to be totally clean before we go into that room. If not, you will be a hazard to your wife and to your unborn daughter. You've got to be totally clean or you're a source of danger. And that picture, that picture, it, it reminds me of this passage and this reality that we're told about here. To come into the presence of God, and we're reminded this in the Old Testament and here in the New, to come into the presence of God is a fearful thing. But we've been made clean. Jesus has cleaned us all the way through. And so when we come to worship we can draw near. This is the best way that I know to do that. There might be a better way. Uh, But the best way that I know to come to worship and draw near, as opposed to just coming and occupying a seat, right? To come and to draw near is to maintain a conversation with God through the entirety of our time together. So that when we pray, you're not just mouthing words or you're not just hearing words. You are, you are focusing on God being there with us and you are praying to God and you're expecting him to receive that and for you to receive from him. When we sing, instead of zoning out and letting our mouths say words that are on the screen, we're singing from the guts. We are attentive to the fact that we are in the presence of God, that we are in the most holy place. And so we draw near to God in the way that we sing. As we come to the scriptures, we're having a conversation with God as he speaks to us through his word, and we're responding back and saying, God, what would you have me do in this? As we take communion, we're mindful. It's not just juice and crackers. That As we we come to communion, we're reminded that Jesus gave his body and blood for us and that he is here with you and I as we draw near to him. 
This is the first area of focus for us, being fully present to God, drawing near to him as we worship. The second, the second that we get here in the book of Hebrews is that when we come to worship, we rekindle hope. We rekindle hope. Verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And this is the, the second focus, the second let us in this passage, right? Uh, let us draw near and then let us hold to hope. Specifically, he says, so the hope that we profess. And the reference here is to our, our profession of faith, is the way that the New Testament describes this. Our, our profession is shorthand for what we believe as Christians. What we confess, Jesus Christ, come to save us, crucified, dead, buried, raised to life on the third day. And the hope of eternal life for you and I, that for all who put their trust in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we're made one with Jesus, that we begin to be transformed into his likeness, that heaven is our destiny after this life. This is the faith, this is the hope that we profess. And we profess this, this hope, not because it's, it's wishful thinking kind of hope, but as this text says, because he who promised is faithful. He won't let us down. His promises are good, so we don't have to worry. Now, friends, why when we gather to worship, do we focus on this? Why do we need to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess? Well, it's, it's because we get swervy. We need to hold on unswervingly to something that is solid, that something that Hebrew refers to earlier as the anchor for our souls. Because we get swervy. And we need to be rekindled in our hope. We need to be recharged in our faith. And this is part of what God does for us and in us as we come to worship. So have you ever driven in the car with a swervy person? Right? I'm sure you have. Uh, if you don't think you have, it might be because you're the swervy person. That is, that's a possibility. <clears throat> but um, you know, just driving with somebody who has a hard time focusing on the road. And I, I have this one friend who it was always a little bit unnerving driving with him because he was, he was incapable of having conversation with me without looking me in the eye. <laughs> and normally, this, I mean, this is a great thing in conversation typically, right? I mean, if we're having coffee together, this is great. Good, solid eye contact. It's wonderful. Except when there's a road to look at, right? And the person's driving like this. It's just it's like, no, no, no. We're all over the place. Keep your eyes on the road. Mm. And, I mean, you can imagine. Maybe you've, you've driven with this person. Maybe if you're really honest, you're like, oh, I am a little bit this person. But imagine you're driving, but you're so distracted by conversation, or you're so distracted by messing with the radio, or you're so distracted by the beautiful scenery, or you're so distracted by checking the map on your phone, or you're so distracted by the texts that keep coming in, that you're unfocused. And you're driving down the road like a little bit of a maniac because you're all over 
the place. You get swervy and can't quite stay on the main task. And friends, reality is our faith is like that too. We get distracted. We get swervy. We need to be refocused. We need to be recharged. We need our hope rekindled on the regular because we get swervy. Right? Sometimes, sometimes it's hardship. You know, the doctor says to you, I, I don't like the look of the scan. We're going to run some more tests. Sometimes it's something that's going on with your child. They're suffering through something. They're making bad choices, and, man, we're distracted by that, right? It takes our eyes off sometimes. It takes our eyes off of the focus of our faith. Right? Maybe, maybe it's not difficulties, but it's pleasure, right? Jesus says, he puts this so well, this sounds so much like 21st century life. Jesus says sometimes the word doesn't grow in us, it doesn't find good roots, because, I quote, because of the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for things choke God's word in us. God is doing something in us, and we get distracted from it, because life happens, good, bad, and ugly. It distracts us from the work that God is doing. Whatever it is, whatever our distraction is. Friends, we need to come together to rekindle hope. We need to gather together on the regular to have our focus change back to where it needs to be. We need to come together in order to be recharged. And there's something about worshiping with others that is essential to this. Right? It's not everything that's necessary in the life of faith, not by a long stretch. But it is essential. It is an indispensable part of what it means to follow Jesus. We do it together. And part of that is we have our our hope rekindled as we worship with others. I had a a great picture of this this week. Uh, Friday, I was driving down to South Orange County for a pastor's conference. Our denomination's regional annual gathering was down there. And, And I was like, okay, it's just me. Um, the, the other boys weren't coming. It was just me, myself. And I'm like, okay, I've got an hour in the car by myself and a bunch of junk to work out and some church pains and things that was, you know, I'm kind of wrestling through with God. I'm like, this is perfect. I need this. And so, you know, I've got my coffee. I've got my Spotify. I've got my worship playlist. I'm like, okay, yes, my soul needs this time. Driving down to Orange County, and it's great. You know, it's, it's great. Music is a little louder than it is when there's others in the car. I'm singing my guts out because there's no one there to hear how awful it sounds. It's terrific. Sipping down the road. And it was great. And I got out of the car, and I was like, deep breath, exhale. I needed that time. And I was already looking forward to the drive home that night for more of the same. But here's the thing. So I went from that, a really terrific experience, but I went from that into this room with a couple hundred pastors, and uh, I got there right as it was starting. So I just came in, I found a seat. I wasn't with anybody that I knew. I hadn't greeted any of my friends. It's, I just like came into the room, sat down, 
and, and the meeting started with worship. And I think we're about four minutes into worshiping together in this room before I realized as refreshing as that last hour was, these four minutes, I'm more refreshed in this than I was in that. There is something about worshiping with others that rekindles our hope. We are made, friends, we are made to do this journey together. Right? As much as our cultural narrative says you are rugged individuals and you don't need those other people, that narrative is wrong. We are meant to do this together and something happens in us when we do. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll have, I'll have a, a Christian say to me, you know, I've, I've grown past that. I still love Jesus, but I don't really need church anymore. And when I have that conversation, I will, I will say as, as gently as I can, if you are disobeying Jesus by not being part of a church, you're actually growing less mature, not more mature. This is a sign that you need the body of Christ more than you think that you do. Friends, we need this. We need one another, worshiping together to become the people that Jesus is making us into. That's the second focus, uh, rekindling our hope. And finally, one more. Finally, when we gather to worship, we focus on making each other better. Verse 24. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, this is an interesting one to me. The, the emphasis here at the end of this passage, the emphasis on where do we focus when we come together for worship, is not just on what God might be doing in us, but it's on what he is doing in others through us. The part of us coming to worship, part of the focus that we are to have is, of course, on God. Right? We're drawing near. We're rekindling our hope but we're also focused on making one another better. Right? And I, I don't know how often we really think about it this way, but when we worship, it's not just an encounter with God through his spirit. It is that, but it's not just that. It is also an encounter with God through your neighbor. Because as the Holy Spirit indwells us, part of the way that God communicates his presence, part of the way that he imparts his knowledge, part of the way that he exercises his grace to us is through somebody else. It's him working and speaking and moving through our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So one area of focus when we come to worship, is this question of how might God use me today in someone else's life? How might I spur others on toward love and toward good deeds? And I I love here, I love the verb consider, right? Did you catch that? 
let us consider how we may spur one another on. Right? In other words, he's saying, think about it. Give it thought. How am I able to be a blessing today? How am I able to make those around me better? Consider it. Don't just stumble through it, but maybe consider. And, and friends, part of what God is doing in this, part of it is, is about what happens here, but part of it, too, is that, that this is sort of rehearsal for the rest of the week, Yes? Because if you are here, and part of how you worship God is you are spurring one another onto love and good deeds, you're going to take that as this becomes more and more part of you, as this is part of your weekly rhythm, and as part of how Jesus shapes you to think about that, to consider how you might do that, you're going to take that into Monday morning. And when you're getting the kids their Cheerios, you're going to start thinking about, without even thinking about that you're thinking about it, thinking about how you might spur them onto love and to good deeds. And you're going to go to work, and that coworker, even that one that you kind of wish would find another job, and that coworker, you might start thinking about how I can spur that person on, how I can be an encouragement to them. Right? And on and on and on it goes. We're learning when we worship. We're being, being trained by Jesus to walk through the world in a certain way, the way that he walks through it. And part of that is, is here. Part of that is making a portion of our focus. How might God use me in the lives of others today? So can I, can I give you a specific challenge in this? Uh, it's a threefold, fourfold, somethingfold. Uh, specific challenge. Every Sunday, do these things. Every Sunday when you come to worship, determine to meet someone new. Right? Almost every single week, there's two, three new people in this room, or at least newer. Every week, meet somebody new. There's somebody here that you don't know. At least they're new to you. Meet someone new. Uh, To do this, you do have to consider, right? Uh, Among our our leadership, we talk sometimes about the five-minute rule, right? Take the first five minutes after the benediction to talk to people that you don't know or don't know well, because they're usually the first ones in the parking lot after service too. But think about it. Uh, meet someone new. Second, determine to make somebody smile. You can do this by smiling at them. It's remarkably effective. Smile. Say hi. Give a word of encouragement. But determine to make somebody smile. Here's a third. You come here determine to make someone feel heard. Ask a question and then listen. Determine to make someone feel heard. Finally, uh, and you guys are terrific at this, but find a way to serve. Where are you serving? Right? You think about all the different pieces that go into a Sunday morning and how incredibly important each one is. Right? Those who are welcoming people at the door. That's a, significant, that's a significant interaction that sets a person's tone for the day. Those who bring snacks, you know, I mean, you're like, ah, oh, I'm bringing oranges, I bring cuties. What does that mean? It means a ton. It means that people stand around and eat your food and fellowship with each other. Right? Ministering to our kids, being a small group leader or a teacher with our children or with our youth, 
that's huge. All these, the beautiful people, blessed are those who come here early to make coffee. God bless you. Because coffee is the nectar of true fellowship. (laughs) But ask, how will I serve? How will I serve others in this place? Did you follow those? I didn't put these on the slide. Let me say them again. But every Sunday, think about this. Determined to meet somebody new, to make somebody smile, to make someone feel heard, and to serve others in some way. Right? This is one way that we might go about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And note here too, verse 25, you know, he says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Right? This is... Not a new phenomenon. Even in the New Testament, they needed to be encouraged in this way. Uh, but friends, we, we have to keep this in our minds, that being part of a church, if, if you are a Christian, being part of a church is not optional. Right? And by being part, I don't mean being a part of the church in like the 24-hour fitness sense. Right? You know what I mean by that? So 24-hour fitness, if you know their business model, They sign up, they do almost all their revenue for the year in the first four weeks of the year, in January. When everybody makes a New Year's resolution, they sign up one million people to go to that gym. And then like seven come, right? And that's that's how they make their money. If everybody showed up who paid dues, you know, it would be a hot mess. They'd have to close down. But we have a way in our culture of finding ways to belong to something without really belonging. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about being engaged with the people of God. Not treating it as something that's optional, but rather as something that's needed and something that Jesus calls us to. Right? And you might be asking, why are you telling me this? I'm, I'm in the room, right? You're, by being here, by definition, you probably accept that that is true. But uh, it, it's important to tell each other this because... That they might not be today, but there are going to be days and weeks and seasons where you don't feel like it because you had a conflict with somebody. And it's like, ah, if I go, I'm going to have to see that person and we're going to have to work out our junk and I'm not ready to work out our junk. Right? Or because uh, you'll get bored. You're like, I don't feel like I'm really growing. I think I'd prefer to sleep. Or if you have kids, there is about a 98% chance that there will be seasons in the life of your children where they're like, I'm so done with this. And you're going to say something like, you're going to go anyway, but then you're going to get tired of having that fight, and you're going to be like, ah, how do I navigate this? Right? Um, You'll find at times in life that Jesus will challenge a cherished belief that you have. And you have to decide... Am I going to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess? Or am I going to let the cultural narratives of left or right drag me into their space instead? So we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that Jesus calls us to this place and it is at the heart of the work that he is doing in making us into those who look like him. Hmm. Uh, as we uh, respond in worship today, friends, uh, I want to invite you just to be dialoguing with God about this and, and ask the question, where am I as a worshiper? Do I draw near or do I just sort of show up? Right, and hope 
Am I learning to trust the one who is faithful, to let him recharge my faith within me? Is that part of what I do when I come to worship? Right? And ask, am I here for others, not just for myself? Do I have an eye on how God might use me uh, as I come and I worship with others in the body of Christ? Uh, well, let's pray together as we respond in worship.